like peak ballet. So I was probably dancing a lot of hours a week and it was kind of my life. So it was fun to see movies that reflected that. I was just doing tap dancing at the time. Only tap dancing? Yeah. I, I don't want to talk about it though. Oh my God. I don't want to talk about my tap dancing ever. Oh my God. <laughs> Did you see my new copy of Tap Dancing Monthly? No. It's on the table right there, but I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't. I used to tap dance. I don't anymore. Right. <sighs> Your tap dancing is a sore subject in I our house. I don't want to talk about it. Okay, fine. We won't talk about it. But like, bring it up constantly because I really need to talk about it, but I don't want to talk about it. On our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I shouldn't say it. It's not official yet, but unofficially. Welcome to I Love This. You should too. <laughs> What? <laughs> it's a bit from the movie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> My name is Indie Tim Boots Randawa, and with me is Samantha Hair Tendrils He's. Hair Tendrils? <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. She was rocking some real tendrils. She was. There was a lot of hair tendrils in this movie. Yeah. Did you have those tendrils back in the day? I did not. I didn't have great hair when I was 13. Um... I oh, nobody did. Remember? Who had great hair when they were 13? There's uh, nobody you look at and you're like, well, you had great hair when you were 13. There were some girls in my junior high that I wished I had their hair, but... Well, if you haven't been able to tell yet, today we are talking about a movie that really encapsulates the late 90s in Chicago and what Michael Jordan meant to not just that city, not just the league, but the world and uh, the documentary series, The Last Dance. No. Wait, what? We're wi- we watched Save the Last Dance. Oh. Different movie about Chicago. I am going to change my uh, ultimate answer about whether I love this or not. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so now that Indy is on the same page as me on what movie we watched, uh, we are I Love This, You Should Too, and we're a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. And we are so lucky to have sponsors who help us do what we do. And the first one is Taproot, which publishes a weekly food roundup sharing the latest on restaurants, chefs, producers, events, and more. It's curated by Sharon Yo, a longtime blogger at Only Here for the Food and a keen student of Edmonton's food scene. Subscribe to the food roundup for free at taprootedmonton.ca. That's taprootedmonton.ca. CA. I need to get on that one because now I think I'm ready to leave the house again and go to restaurants. Yeah. I'm I'm in the market for some good recommendations. So Perfect. I'm going to check out that uh, taproot. Yeah. And then they also have other ones on like tech and whatnot. But today we're all about the food. Today I'm all about the food. I spent all day calling food trucks. So now I'm just thinking about food. Yeah, that's how hungry she was. She ordered a food truck for lunch. <laughs> just one food truck, please. <laughs> just, just bring it on over. I'll... <laughs> I'll take care of the rest. No, I didn't get a food truck because apparently you can't just call and have one delivered. No. So, Indy, we watched 2001's Save the Last Dance. In 2001, I loved it. And 20 years later? I did not. Yeah. This was a full two hours of cringe. Oh, wow. <laughs> you went that far. I did. I thought you would still like like it. Do you mm, like it? Not really. No. No. It's stupid. Well, it is quite stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better word. It's but often, stupid. Like, this, this is throwing me for a loop here because usually 
I like go about explain breaking it down and explaining to you why it's stupid. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, okay, fine, you might be right, but I still like it. But no. you're there from the beginning. I'm going in full stupid today. Clearly I, I didn't love it, but we we kind of saw that coming. Yeah, yeah. But right after the movie, I was much more angry about it. Oh. Like I didn't like it at all. I was like, this was yeah, like it was stupid. It was stupid. <laughs> Looking at it today, I'm like, yeah, there's some good stuff. There's some fun bits about it. So I have actually softened on it. Um, I didn't like how racialized this movie was. Okay. I'm sure we'll talk about it. We will. Because I was, if you didn't bring it up, I was going to ask you, like, based on how I talk about every movie, <laughs> why would you show me this movie and expect me not to just, like, get into this for an hour? But you were... Ahead of the game again, in both in saying it's stupid and uh, about the racial dynamics yes. of it. Yes. So this was one that I hadn't watched right before I suggested it to right. you. This was one that came mm. up on my Netflix. Um, you haven't seen since you were a teenager. I felt like maybe we should do a dance movie after the princess movies that we just did. I'm really like throwing it back to young Samantha. So I say lean into that. Well, and that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I'm trying to bring you more things that I loved as a young ballerina princess and then i can crush your childhood exactly that's what all good marriages are based on hey you know those things you love here's why they're dumb here's why they're dumb and i hate them (laughs) um so i just now looking on it i'm like this is not a movie i would ever bring you if i actually really liked it because Mm -hmm. you would like you said tell me why you hated it and it was dumb um (laughs) but i think you should bring it if you like it and you think i'll tear it apart because if it holds up to that or if you can say like but here's why that doesn't matter or the good things make up for it then you um i don't know win my life win the podcast you win the podcast i win the podcast okay but uh yeah i i like that you did this without watching it because i think i'm going to do a couple of those coming up okay my favorite movies from when i was 14 okay yeah so i hadn't watched this one before and i kind of hate not knowing what we're going into I, I just really feel uncomfortable with that which is why i usually like which is why i watch the princess diaries both movies back to back before I even started the whole series with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is why I watch a lot of movies beforehand. And maybe this is a Bride Wars insecurity because I didn't watch that one beforehand. So I feel like if I had watched this, I never would have brought it to the podcast. Yeah. I like that you didn't because I think when the whole Bride Wars incident happened, <laughs> We were so early in the podcast that you more equated me saying this movie is terrible to saying you are terrible, (laughs) or at least your taste is terrible. True. Which is not the case. I think we've gotten to the point now where I can say a movie is junk, and you're like, yeah, that's that movie. That's not me. True. And I know you're not going to love Raging Bull, but you can still love me. Well, that's fine. <laughs> We've gotten to the point where we can talk about the movies as not just representations of us. Very true. It's very true. And we have, like, more defined roles, and we can kind of move past. We have more defined rules? Roles. Oh, roles. Oh, we have more defined roles? Yeah. How so? In that, like, you're... Oh, you're the fun time, good, happy one, and I'm, like, the curmudgeon jerk. No! 
on the podcast? Yeah, totally. I'm right? the fun time happy one, yeah. and you're like the soliloquizing smart guy. I think curmudgeon. <laughs> <laughs> a, curmur- a curmudgeon who loves Spider-Man cartoons. Huh? Yeah, yeah. there you go. Well, well, this was a good um, session of uh, marriage counseling. I was going to say, that kind of just <laughs> describes what we're like in our relationship every day. Wait, I'm not the curmudgeon there. No, no, no. I I'm said the good time, you're fun, the happy one. You're the soliloquizing smart guy. I think outside of podcast, I'm the good time, happy one. You're good time, happy when it comes to eating salty foods. <laughs> I'm good time, happy when it comes to activities and mm. like general demeanor. Okay, sure. <laughs> Sure. But we can what have two the... good time happy ones. We have no curmudgeon. We have no curmudgeon. Outside of the podcast. In the podcast, though, oh, I'm very curmudgeon. Okay, well, if you're going to own it, then yes, you are a curmudgeon. Yeah. <laughs> Damn kids on my lawn. He's shaking his fist right now. This, I'm going to try to segue this into uh, the movie we're talking about. Oh, Save what? the Last Dance. We're not just talking about our... This was the time when I first became curmudgeonly. I thought at a very young age, like, I'm going to be a great old man because in 2001, I was like, hip-hop music is junk now, back in my day. And everyone's like, Indy, you're like 16. And I was like, yeah, no, but trust me, when I was 10, oh, shit, it was good then. Because I only listened to hip-hop from the ages of, like, 6 through 17, 18. And then I discovered the old uh, rock and roll. Mm. But before that, I only listened to hip hop, and this was like one of those turning points where it became more mainstream and worse. And I don't think it's like a hipster thing of like, well, now everyone likes it, so I don't. I think, well, when we do an episode on just hip hop in general, I'll talk about how things changed. But 2001 hip hop is where it started losing me. Hmm. Interesting. And much of that was due to the soundtrack of Save the Last Dance, which is hugely popular and very well loved by people who were first introduced to hip hop through this soundtrack. And to someone like me, who was like even at a very young age, very studious in my music listening. You are very studious in everything that you approach. That's actually probably true. So then this becoming so popular and reaching such a wide audience when it was such a watered down version of what I loved was uh, very upsetting to me Mm. as a teenager. And now let's relive all of that. So first things, what struck you about this being cringy? Like I said, the racialization in this movie. What do you mean by racialization? Um, I feel like there is a very stereotypical brush that they used. A, like, white person's stereotypical brush they used to write all of the black characters in this movie. I'm very glad you said that, because (laughs) when we talked about Bring It On, you had the opposite. Mm. You said, like, oh, I hate what they did. And I was like, yeah, me too. But you had the exact opposite view as me on that one. Coming around. (laughs) Am I woke now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first part of being woke is using the word woke. That's what I thought. That's the first time I said it out loud. Yeah. I practiced at my desk today in my head. And then you had to say AF. Oh, woke AF. (laughs) I'm going to start mixing it up. I'm going to say I'm woke A-fuck or woke as F. (laughs) I love that. Um, 
Did you see how I was holding my hands? I had like Alexis hands when I said woke AF. Well, you usually do. I usually do. You're yeah. right. I do hold my hands really high and bend at the wrist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the soundtrack to this movie reminds me of like grade seven school dances. Yeah. I feel like there was a lot of this. And now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, I feel like 12 year olds should not be dancing all up on each other to this music. <laughs> well, they can listen to the music, but just not be all up on each other. No, they were all up on each other. <laughs> well, that's your school's fault, not the soundtrack's <laughs> fault. It's very true. Um, the other things I didn't really like about this movie uh, were the lack of parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and just like the way that they wrote Sarah. Okay. We'll get into that because I'm curious um, yeah. to see what your issues with her are because I feel like they might differ from my issues with her. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into the movie. How does this one start off? So the beginning of the movie, the first like five to ten minutes, it, there's a lot of plot that happens in it. So I'll just mm-hmm. quickly let you know. 17-year-old Sarah, who is played by Julia Stiles, is on the cusp of a promising ballet career when she tries out for Juilliard and she begs her mom to attend the audition. Yeah, so first of all, she's like, Mom, you need to be there. And their relationship is a little odd to me. They're too involved in each other. Very true. Like, my mom and I are very close. Very, yeah. But, like, I go and do things on my own. You're able to do that. I'm able to, like have experiences without her. And we are jumping, of course, but that stays with her. Sarah yeah. is her name? Sarah. She also can't audition without her boyfriend there later. She needs someone watching her. There's like a weird I've... codependence thing in her character. So as someone who was like almost a professional dancer, you don't get to bring people to auditions. This whole audition, all of the auditions, <laughs> yeah. we'll talk about the second audition yeah. later, they're, they're no, weird. No, I've never been to an audition like that. Granted, I've never tried out for Juilliard, but it's like, you don't get to bring your mom. My mom has never been to an audition that I've done. Um, you don't do some weird self-choreographed hip-hop dance. And uh, if you fall generally they'll let you go again because first time you fall it's maybe a slippery stage the second time it's dancer error so but it was a very hectic day at the flower shop for her yeah that shot of in the flower shop and they're trying to make it look as busy as possible yeah. but it's still a flower shop yeah so it's just people moving flowers from one side of the room yeah the that was weird <laughs> and like so not how retail stores work the beginning of this movie is very poorly directed it and is. i don't think that's an issue throughout the movie so no, it's, it's almost like, like chaotic and weird yeah it's almost like they had their second unit doing all this montage stuff because it does not look or feel like the rest of the movie it's very true and that's why i was like we should just synopsis the first like yeah, 10 minutes because i have issue with all of the movie but i think the direction through most of it is, is solid mm, and it's like nice to look at they yeah. do a good job um but yeah i i would agree with you and i didn't i don't have the film background to like think about first and second teams right but like i found the beginning of this movie like kind of almost throwaway. it looked bad and yeah. it was poorly edited mm-hmm. it was it was it was just bad 
So after she makes her mother attend this audition, she falls and soon learns that her mother was killed in a car accident. And they edit it together so the fall and the car accident are happening at the same time. So begging the question, did the disgruntled ghost come and trip her? I think that... Sarah and her mom are so weirdly close, like TLC smothered close, (laughs) uh, that they have like that twin telepathy thing. Yeah. So she felt her mom dying. She felt her mom dying and she fell down on the stage. That's probably what it was. I think. It's the most important day of my life. Ah, You have to be there. Please drive dangerously to make sure that I get what I want. So then Sarah decides that she's just going to give up ballet. And then she moves to the south side of Chicago to live with her father, who is a jazz musician and is never home. No. Unless he decides he's having a strict parenting moment and then he's home all the time. What's he doing during the day? Because he doesn't have like a day job. Sleeping, I'm assuming. Because he like plays jazz clubs till real late. Yeah. (laughs) That's what he said. I'll be gone till real late. This whole her moving in with her father is very strange because Sarah at this point seems like she's like 25. Yeah, and she's being, yeah, like, the only one who's close to her age, but she's yeah. like 20 or something. Yeah, and she's being like forced into this like little girl role almost. And the place where she's staying looks like those sets in Rent. Mm-hmm. You got me to watch Rent, where it's like decrepit, but like too perfectly decrepit. Yes, <laughs> but like has been abandoned for ten years. Yeah, but it looks also like a joke. Like cool and edgy. I felt it read like a sitcom joke of a bad apartment. Oh, for it sure. didn't read authentic. It no. read, read silly. It did look like a set in theater. Yes. Um, where like, oh, I'm gonna make this wall like exposed beam. And then someone spends like two days plastering and making this like exposed beam perfect. So I thought that the apartment was like kind of dumb. After she gets settled into her father's living room couch, um, she goes to a high school on the south side, which is a majority black high school. Uh, and then we meet all of these characters and we watch her be scared of people for and she's almost a full day. the only white person in most of these shots. And she's also the only one wearing colored clothes. Everyone yeah. else wears black and gray. And she's all brightly colored. There's one other white person in her class at one point mm-hmm. who also just gets cutaway shots of her rolling her eyes at the antics of black people. Yeah. Which felt weird and unnecessary. It feels terrible. Because at this point, Sarah's actually doing all right. She doesn't seem like overly scared or anything. They're not playing up any sort of danger. If there's any good thing about this character, she does, for the most part, reserve judgment in most situations. And she's trying to fit into her new life. I feel like she's at the point with her grief that she's like, well, this is my life now. I'm not a dancer anymore. I go to this high school. I guess I just have to, like, graduate. Yeah, it was like me with my tap all those years ago. You did tap. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) 
Why would you think I want to talk about it? Just because I bring it up constantly? I don't, know, I don't en- want to talk about the it. The entire bookshelf related to tap magazines that you're you have. You're not supposed to see that, even you're... though I have it displayed for everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah, so when Gold she's... dip tap shoes. <laughs> <laughs> when she's on the bus going to Chicago, she has her ballet magazine out. And someone goes, oh, do you do ballet? I used to. And she's all like sullen and moody about it. And then looks it. out the window yeah. really dramatically. Yeah, it's uh, it's a confusing movie because she clearly wants to talk about ballet, but also wants to yell at people for wanting to talk about ballet yes. <laughs> with her. So we see Carrie Washington. Thank God. Very young Carrie Washington. So I'm not familiar with her. Yeah. I only learned that she was a big deal afterwards. I went to IMDb and I was like, oh, she's done all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. She saves this movie. She does. She's, she's by far fantastic. the best person in this movie. And at some points I felt bad for her having to act opposite Julia Stiles. And sometimes I felt thankful for her because man julia styles none of your jokes are landing if you don't have carrie washington going like oh snap yeah because she's like a physical actor as well as very good at line delivery she's just a breath of fresh air in a very stagnant movie oh absolutely absolutely she's really big in um some of shonda rhimes's shows shonda rhimes who wrote the second Princess Diaries? Is that what? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's her claim to fame, right? <laughs> the writer of Princess Diaries did. Um, Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, which is where Carrie Washington is from. So uh, I was really excited to see her because I really like Carrie Washington. She is a really good, sassy, um, bold, strong woman character. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of interested to see what she was going to bring to this role, which that was amazing to see her doing this like 20 years before she became, maybe 15 years before she became really popular um, with this role that she's playing in a high school. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I wasn't familiar with her. and But just watching her, I was like, oh, why isn't this person the star? Because she's like, she just commands the screen much more than mm-hmm. the other people in this movie do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I'm glad that, yeah, she was there because she made it so that Sarah didn't look so flat. Yes. Um, this is what a supporting actor has to do, like, in the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Because she doesn't just get to do her own thing and we celebrate, like, her performance. She has to bring up some pretty flat performances which yes. is like even more difficult and she does a great job of it not so great that i think julia styles is charismatic but still pretty good yeah absolutely uh so carrie washington teenage single mother she's having relationship problems she has a brother who she's trying to get into medical school she's got friends who really enjoy people who are in gangs she just wants to be a teenager but she also feels this strong affinity to her child so she's got a lot going on and And yet none of it's explored and none of it's explored and none of it's important when it's inconvenient yeah absolutely (laughs) well said it's like no you can go out until one in the morning dancing every night your grandmother will take care of your baby or like if you decide to revoke custody from your ex-boyfriend when he's trying to take your baby for a weekend, that's fine too. Um, 
you'll just go out with your friends. That's fine. And it's just like silly the way that they deal with some of these like actual real world problems. Because every character, every issue in this movie only exists when it is convenient for Julia Stiles' character. Mm-hmm. This entire world exists to prop her up. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the big flaw of the movie. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what are some of your favorite lines that Carrie Washington has? Oh, I like when they're walking out of a classroom and someone's dancing and Julia Stiles is kind of like scared and she goes, relax, it's just a little hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's how people talk. Yeah, exactly. What's yours? Um, Probably when Julia Stiles is going to Steps, which is spelled with two Ps. Yeah. Um, is it an acronym? I don't know. Uh, but Carrie Washington corrects her when she, she says, oh, I like your outfit. Or nice outfit. No, it's cool or something? Cool outfit? You look really cool. That's a cool outfit. Something like that. That's a cool outfit. And Carrie Washington says, slamming. It's a slamming outfit. Just, oh. Oh, got thank it. Thank you, wise black woman, yes. for teaching me the ways of the streets. I would like to know the street lingo, please. And the, the things they make Carrie Washington say. Terrible. And from her, seems all right. Kind of charming. Yeah. She's Some, very good. Somehow very charming. Um, so Chenille, Chenille, Chanel. Chenille. Chenille. She's kind of Sarah's guardian angel through this whole experience. For no reason. No reason. She just helps her once so her bag doesn't get stolen. And then just takes her under her wing because she's just a good person who goes around helping lost white people. Apparently. She's already has one in her group that she's yeah, rescued from somewhere. Nikki? Is that her name? Or is it Nikki the other one? I can't remember, but... Because there's the her one friend who's like mean that looks like Aaliyah. Oh, that's... uh, Yes, that's Derek's ex-girlfriend, Nikki. That's Nikki. Yeah. I can't remember... The white friend's name? The white friend's name. But yeah, there's one girl who's just trying so hard to be black, and it's kind of sad to watch. But isn't that like the message of this movie is like, all you have to do is sit like this and say slam and now you're black. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the what this movie is positing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So throughout her first day at school and going to steps, Sarah develops this hatred of Derek, who is Chanel's brother. Right. So we meet Derek in class and because they are debating literature like no high school students ever have. Mm-hmm. I have taught high school English. <laughs> it's not like that at all. No, nobody is like the two of them. No, Derek is just a confounding character in many ways. A problematic character in many ways as well. Mm, problematic how? Oh, well, maybe we should save all of our race stuff for at the end when sure. we like really get into the thematic <laughs> stuff of it. Okay. But he's this uh, almost like a stereotype of this exemplary Negro is what it's mm. often called <laughs> in uh, where it's just someone who's like, oh, see, he's one of the good ones. And it's a tool used not to say like, hey, black people are great. It's in fact done to do the opposite because it's you're one of the exemplary ones. You're the exception to the rule. Right. Most of you people are bad Mm. you're one of the good ones so it's a really like i don't want to say catch 22 because i just finished reading that and then people use it wrong all the time but it's kind of a catch 22 of you think that we're 
promoting the cause, the advancement of black mm-hmm. people by putting in this role. But in fact, you're doing the opposite because you're saying only if you are, you get a scholarship to, where's he going, Notre Dame? Georgetown. Georgetown. And you're going to be a doctor and you're leaving behind all of those criminal things and you rescue every white person you see. You're the one of the good ones. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is not. So it's... Yeah, it's a difficult character and a difficult performance. I don't even know what to take away from his performance. It's kind of like pointless love interest, but also like with a cause like stapled a hundred times onto it. Yeah, it's it's Like it's so forcefully pushed. But at this point in the movie, all we know is he is way too old to be in that class. Yes. He's over 30. Yeah. And you can tell. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's very uncomfortable when the two of them get together because she's like a teenager and he's a 30-year-old man. And it's, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Absolutely. Um, Also, racially, I didn't enjoy that she only, like, was interested in the guy who wants to go to Georgetown. Yeah, there's so much of this. We'll talk about that later again. But uh, I just felt like, like great Derek is you know studious and nice and he wants more for his future but like Sarah shouldn't you know automatically just be with him why is he interested in her zero reasons there's no reason at all she's awful it seems like they really dislike each other at the beginning Mm -hmm. but that's also a a trope in so many romantic movies that I really hate, especially teenage ones. Yes. Where the guy is antagonistic and that's how he shows he cares. It's like, like the, this isn't oh, he six. likes you because he punches you on the floor. Yeah, you're not a six-year-old doing that. Like You should know better at this point and the writer should know better and audiences should expect better. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, they, I guess that's what they were going for here. But there's no point where things turn in my mind because mm-hmm. then they go dancing this is another one of Julia Stiles' great lines when someone says, oh, we don't square dance here. She goes, that's all right. I dance in circles. Probably around Around you. you. And everyone, Carrie Washington's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Which she's she's helping. She's doing what she can to help out her friend. (laughs) But so then they go dance and that's a painful, painful scene. If you are near the top of the world in ballet, as she was, because she's almost in Juilliard at Mm -hmm. this point, You've probably never heard music before, though, right? No, yeah. <laughs> like, you wouldn't have taken a hip-hop class. It's not just that she doesn't know, like, choreographed hip-hop dance. Mm-hmm. Because this movie doesn't seem to know there's a difference between, like, a choreographed hip-hop routine and then people dancing at a club. Mm-hmm. People aren't doing choreographed routines at the club. No. They're pretty much bobbing along to the beat. Yeah. And she can't do that. No. She does not understand what a beat is. It's not just that she's never heard hip-hop music before. She's never heard music before. Yes. She's never danced when someone didn't choreograph it for her. Mm -hmm. So it looks very, very awkward. It's like an alien trying to dance for the first time. (laughs) So this was one of the things that I feel like they got right. In how bad of a dancer she was? In how bad of a dancer she was. So you can't dance to anything if you're trained in ballet? I don't think I realized that there was other, like, that you could just, like, free dance. Okay. Until I was, like, going to school dances and saw my friends doing it and, like, got comfortable with it. But you understand, like, 
four beats. Yes. Right? You wouldn't be like one, two, three, one, three, four. Like, no. You know so it's she, one and two They did and a three bad job four. of directing her through it, but I can feel some solidarity with her. <laughs> um, I think it was too bad. Because like 12-year-old Samantha didn't realize how to work hips while dancing 12 is very different yes. than a senior in high school no absolutely absolutely like she should know by now but i can just say that like i do remember that awkwardness and i remember not knowing how to like reprogram my brain i want to hear from all you other dancers out there yeah. because as we learned last episode for some reason i've dated several ballerinas <laughs> i found they could all dance hmm. i could dance eventually <laughs> It just was like a weird reprogramming of the brain. You just needed someone to like take you aside, teach you how to walk, teach you how to sit. Yes. And then yeah. you're like, oh, okay, now I get it. Yeah, got it. Thanks. Uh, no, I I definitely think she should have learned this before she was auditioning for Juilliard. Because she looks very awkward. Yeah. Well, she looks awkward when she's doing ballet as well. True. And I like that this club only plays censored music. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. You have to be 21 to get in, but like, oh, we can't swear here. No, there's no swearing. <laughs> there are pretty often fist fights, but no swearing. No swearing, butt punching. <laughs> butt punching? No. Whose butt butt got punched? <laughs> butt comma punching. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. Sarah and Derek somehow become friends after learning how to dance together. And he spends all of this money to take her to the ballet. And she like almost doesn't go. Yeah, because I think this is the point where we learn that she links ballet with killing her mom. Yeah. Which I I get that. I, I see the line there. Yeah. I also say that is terrible script writing. That, that's bad motivation to be like, oh, yeah, my mom died, so now I can't do ballet yeah. because I need a conflict or else my character has nothing to it. That's exactly. what it sounds like to me. It does. It does. It's flimsy, and they could have beefed that up a little bit. Very easily. Yeah. Um, but it just, uh, like, if she was unable to dance after her mom got hit by a car. Sure. Like, it's in her mind. She doesn't quite know yeah, how to do it. Yeah, she's got a mental but, block. Yeah, that makes sense. Or if it was more of that she felt guilty because her mom put so much time into things mm -hmm. and then she's just not good enough and it's more of a self-confidence thing. But the way this movie presents it, it's like, I do ballet so my mom died. So I can't do ballet anymore because it'll double kill my mom. I don't know. <laughs> Extra killer. Yeah. She's going to be so killed. <laughs> she, she was pretty killed. <laughs> she was, you're right. I feel like... Maybe lots of the viewers don't know how much tickets to the Joffrey Ballet where they were sitting would be, but those are like $250 a ticket. Damn. So, like, to not go would be very insulting and upsetting, especially for a high school student who spent $500 on a date. Yeah. Who looks like he lives in a pretty junk place yeah. and doesn't have a job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Does he? No, he doesn't. Like, how, does how that do family survive? It's a grandma, the baby, and the two of them. Yeah. Now I'm worried about them. Me too. I'm glad they're fictitious. Me too. Carrie Washington. Good thing she had an acting breakout so that she could support that family. So one of the very few things I know about this, and maybe you already know it, is at the time she was a substitute teacher when she got this role. Yeah. So she went and did it. And because of whatever her contract with MTV was, she got paid so little, she had to keep teaching. 
And Seriously? she had to stop teaching high school because all the people would be like, oh, shit, it's Chenille. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so she could only teach elementary school after that because it was just too much of an ordeal. Wow. And then eventually she got other movies who that actually paid her. That's crazy. I did not know that, actually. Yeah. So then she learns how to dance and then they go to the club and dance again. And everybody stops and watches them. Yeah, everyone's like amazed. And it is not an impressive no, dance. No, no. Everyone's like, whoa. Every dance in this movie is not what? terribly impressive. That's yeah. what people are like. They were. And it's not that great. She just like learned how to move her arms and legs in unison. <laughs> Which really, she should be able to do no. by this point. Derek dances with his ex-girlfriend, Nikki. And... Do you have that actress's name? Uh, Bianca Lawson. So Bianca Lawson has been playing teenagers since 1994. Really? She was on the reboot of Saved by the Bell. Oh. And I haven't watched her later stuff, but I looked at her IMDb. She is still playing teenagers as of five years ago. To this day? How old is she now? No, she's not a teenager. So she has like a 30-year career of playing teenagers, of playing high school students. That's hilarious. Which is impressive. Like, good for you. I'm not condemning her or anything. She's if you can. 42. Yeah. She looks incredible for 42. Right? She does look like, like Aaliyah, right? Yes, she does. Or at least how her hair and stuff were in this movie. She like literally hasn't aged. I think it's the hairstyle that makes her look like Aaliyah. Yeah, because when you see her in other stuff, you don't get no. that. But I think that was just a look of the time. I think Her she's... and Aaliyah both had it going on. For sure. Was Aaliyah still alive at this point? I believe so. I'm not sure. It's probably close to that point. I remember when she died, but I don't remember when it was. I feel like it was after, but I'm not sure about that. So Sarah and Derek go to her dad's apartment and the subtext is that they have sex it was a jarring scene because Uh up to this point they never kiss yeah oh except there's the one uh, train lady scene right but that's like not even real kissing jarring because it was like all of a sudden they went from hating each other to like being really touchy-feely on the train yeah and then so in this scene where they have sex they hadn't kissed to this point no and that's weird. Mm-hmm. It's weird to have a love story, which is pretty much what this movie is, mm-hmm. and not know if they're together until like three quarters away through the movie. And not like, will they get together? No, They've it's been like, together do the you whole even time. like each other? Yeah. And I, that can't be an intentional thing because mm-hmm. you could say like, oh, they were, it's suspense of will they get together? But it wasn't played like that. No. They were together all the time, doing things all the time, but it just didn't seem romantic. Yeah. It's very strange. Maybe it's just because he's 31 and she's in high school. But there, it just didn't seem like they were a couple at all. So it kind of grossed me out when they were having sex. Also, because he's 31 and she's in high school. Could you drive that fact home one more time? <laughs> just watch the movie. It's going to drive it home. I don't it's know. It's very obvious. It's, yeah. I don't know why. why that is a man who has done medical school. Yes. And has somehow ended up back in high school. Yeah. So Derek gets into Georgetown. And because of that, he convinces Sarah to follow her dreams of Juilliard and finds the Chicago audition. Do you know like 24 people a year get into the Juilliard dance program? Yeah. I and remember in high Julia school. Stiles? Come on. I remember in high school them telling us that like they take one Canadian a year. Yeah. 
from all of Canada. And I went to an arts high school where they did absolutely everything they could do to encourage us. And they were like, yeah, Juilliard might be a little bit of a long shot. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Is this when we get the scene where they go to the hospital or like the doctor's office or something because Carrie Washington's kid is sick? Is that, did that happen in this movie? Yes, it did. Okay. I just remember her looking around at all like the sick black children and they should have been playing like Sarah McLaughlin songs because it looked like it was shot like one of those, uh, if you have a dollar a day, you could support this starving child. It looks like one of those infomercial type things. It was offensively shot. It was offensively shot. So the doctor's office scene happens right after Nikki and Sarah have a fight. Oh, right, right. Talk about that. Nikki being uh, Derek's Mm ex-girlfriend who is like no good and he's on to bigger and better things. Right. Which is apparently Sarah. Yeah. Uh. And then Chenille takes Nikki's side, basically, and says that uh, she understands Nikki's bitterness because Sarah is stealing one of the decent black men that they have in the community. What did you think about all that? Uh, That was ridiculously offensive. Which part? All of it. Okay, let's save it and we'll bring, we're, we're going to break that down later. Okay, sounds good. Because I have thoughts as well. Okay. So yeah, then we go to the doctor and then Sarah breaks up with Derek because she says like, we spend all of our time defending our relationship, which never really happened. Oh yeah, I guess they happened a couple yeah, times. Yeah, I mean, it happened a few times. It was very light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Derek has this friend, Malachi. Oh, Malachi, Fredro Star. How have we not talked about Fredro Star yet? Who is Fredro Star? Fredro Star, man, I was a huge fan of his as a musician. He did a lot of uh, movies and TV as well. I think he's most popular from Moesha. He was on the Moesha show. Oh, okay. But he is one of the four founding members of Onyx, who I was a huge fan of when I was like, 10 years old (laughs) and if you listen to onyx you know what i'm sure i could do it right now uh here is 10 seconds of onyx so what do you think of that uh, that was interesting. <laughs> interesting. That's nobody ever says anything good is interesting. No, I can see why you like it. <laughs> <laughs> you hit you a little too hard because on that. you but like, like hip hop. But wait, listen to the difference between these two. I can see why you like it. I can see why you like it. Oh no! <laughs> Do you hear? It? No, I didn't mean to. <laughs> no, no, yeah, because I, I like rap, right? Don't make and me I grew an up accidental on... racist. <laughs> no, there's nothing racist about okay. it. You don't like that kind of music. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, good. But uh, it it's not the most accessible hip hop. Like a lot of the stuff we get in this, it's at the time it was called hardcore. Like mm-hmm. that's hardcore rap, and it was uh, very profane, and there's lots of violence in it, but. Um, he came from Onyx, and when I was 12, I think, I had this Onyx t-shirt, and the name of their album was Back to Fuck Up, and it said that, but it's spelled B-A-C-D-A-F-U-C-U-P, Back to Fuck Up, is <laughs> oh. one thing. So I was like, 
I, I really want to wear my Onyx shirt to school, but I don't want to get in trouble. My mom didn't know what I meant because it was just one big <laughs> word. So I tried oh, to like, I, I did wear it to school and nobody called me on it. Yeah. But the tiny bit of rebellion in me was like, ha ha, I got away with this. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a very big Onyx fan. The first CD I ever bought was Onyx. Oh, that's yeah. that's exciting. At Sam the Record Man for twenty nine ninety nine. It's crazy. CDs were so expensive. This is like probably in 94 or so. I think my first one was Spice Girls. Oh. Or Britney Spears, one of the two. Yeah, we had a little bit of different tastes. Yeah, just <laughs> just slightly. Why do you like me? <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing with the podcast, remember? Yeah. You can be very different. It's our differences that make us stronger. Aww. That's my speech on... Uh, <laughs> multiculturalism as well but anyways uh yeah malachi we haven't talked about him much here but he's a general troublemaker yeah he's gonna go do a drive-by shooting yeah but before we talk about that his performance what did you think of fred Rowe in this he's very convincing i thought he gave one of the best performances yeah for Harry sure. washington of course commands the screen because she's charismatic and uh, refreshing mm-hmm. with all those flat performances around her but what Fredro Starr does, he brings an authenticity to it that I don't think anyone else had. No. I don't think a, a single other person I believed was that person. Mm-hmm. Like even Carrie Washington. And it's not because she was a bad actor. Quite the opposite. It's just that she wasn't a high school student. She didn't look no. like it. And also, I don't believe that he was a Fredro being a, a high school student. But I believed him as someone who was going to do a drive-by. I was like, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, he was... Like, legitimately scared. And because that's also who I knew him as, because that's kind of his persona as a musician, too, right? Mm -hmm. When he was with Onyx, he's kind of cultivating that. So that's already what I think of him. But I thought he was very good in it. So Malachi. Oh, yeah. He's planning the drive-by and he's going to say, hey, Derek, you have to join us because, you know, I helped you out before. Because Malachi went to jail instead of Derek so that Derek could become a pediatrician. But if that's the case, then Malachi would also be like, yeah, don't do this. Don't don't fuck up your yeah. life. Stay out of this. Yeah. He's a very strange friend. Yeah. Um, and so Sarah is at her Juilliard audition. Derek said that he was going to be there, but also is somehow going to be at a drive-by. And he has a change of heart and decides to leave. And Sarah does her audition and falls does she fall again she does the ballet one and apparently it's good but it's not like i've only been to the ballet four or five times i saw a lot of high school ballet Mm. they're all better than she was in this you're you're a dancer was it good no did you think it was good when you were a kid and you saw it no like, I don't get why they can't get that part good. You're already using a body double, and it's yeah. very apparent. So, that's so then I just was... use the body double for everything and make it good. Use yes. a good body double. They didn't use a good body double. And I feel like I spent so much time doing ballet that I am very critical of it. And But I haven't, and I'm not critical of it, and this looked bad. Yes, and it did look bad. And I'm just like, I don't understand why. It's like when fashion designers do a ballet-inspired line and they use models in point shoes instead of actual ballerinas who are like sometimes skinnier than models and like look great in high fashion clothing and it's just like why wouldn't you use the real thing 
Spike Lee said uh, when he was making He Got Game, he cast Ray Allen, who is an NBA player, Mm -hmm. as the lead in this movie uh, as a basketball player. He believed it's easier to get a basketball player who can act convincingly than it is to get an actor who can convincingly play basketball. Oh, for sure. And I don't think he's wrong. Because you go to any... You go to Juilliard, you go to one of those <laughs> yes. people who is a dancer, they're, they're probably also an actor anyway. I mean, they There go... are a lot of people who yes. can dance and act. I, well, dancing is acting. Any of those storybook ballets, you're being Romeo, you're being Juliet, you're being anyone. I feel like this is a big debate and I, I want to argue with you <laughs> no, that I know. it's not. No, but it's very <laughs> similar. You're encompassing a role. Sure, sure. You're becoming that person. And I feel like it would be very easy to get a dancer who could act. But if we're recasting it, I would also, instead of just casting her with someone who could dance, I would also cast her with someone who could act. <laughs> Agreed. Like, I know, I think that's probably the most controversial thing I'm going to say on this episode, because people love Julia Stiles. They do. They I do. I don't quite know why. But, okay, we won't even look at her career as a whole. No. In this movie, is she good? No. I think she's quite bad. She's quite bad. She's so flat. Wooden and flat. Yeah, flat. Yeah. It's just, she's she's just like a... Beige um, wall. I was going to say <laughs> a bowl of unsweetened oatmeal. Oh, okay. She's just oatmeal up there. Yeah. Like, yeah, I guess she got the job done, but like, I'd like to enjoy it. So Sarah has Derek on the stage during her audition oh yeah so then Derek runs in and says well wait stop 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 and the guy's like he you can't be in here no and he's like well i am so they talk for like five minutes yeah. while the juilliard people just wait like there's nobody else in line. yeah like there's 17 other people waiting to audition and then, also is it 10 p.m yeah so because what time do drive-bys happen i'm gonna say nine or later like, that's what i thought okay <laughs> not too many <laughs> like three in the afternoon drive-bys because it's dark. It's definitely it's after dark. school. Yeah. Um, it, she seems to have had an entire day's worth of stuff. It's like a 10 p.m. Juilliard edition. Yes, at least. Uh, Wait, don't they say like the for the driveway? I thought they had a time that it's at it's like 9.30. So it's after 9. It's probably like 10 at least. Yeah, because he's like, oh, you ready to go? And they're all getting into the car. Yeah, and Derek's like, no, man, I can't do this. And yeah. then he... Then he goes across town. So he has a full conversation with his sister where she's like, Sarah loves you. Oh, right. Because then Carrie Washington has to say like, oh, I said something to her. That's why she I was rude. And then he runs all the way downtown to where her Juilliard audition is. So it's been like an hour at least. least. Like minimum Conservatively, it's 1030 at night. Yeah. Uh, And the Juilliard people are still seeing dancers and they're cool with them having a 10 minute conversation. I'd be like, it's. 10.45 10.45 at night. Like, You've also auditioned twice this year, yeah. and you've fallen twice. So I think we're good. I think we're good. I think we've seen all we need to and see. And also the ballet was terrible. Yeah. So then Sarah's accepted into Juilliard somehow. Because we never even got to the basis of this movie is that he teaches her hip-hop dancing, and that's going to help her get into Juilliard as a ballerina. Yeah. I get that you'd want to be varied and show that you have more than your one thing. Mm -hmm. But first of all, why would she get Derek to be her coach? He's never been trained and Mm -hmm. is also not an especially good uh, dancer. He's a fine dancer for his like 
hey, look, he's at a club and he's dancing. Yeah, he's good at that. Yeah. But he's not a choreographer. No. He just knows how to slouch in a chair. Yeah. And And by teaching her how to slouch in a chair, that imbues her with all of black culture. (laughs) And she now is a hip hop dancer. Yes. But she doesn't really dance any hip hop. No. Or ballet. Also, if she's just dance nerd again, if she's going to Juilliard for ballet, she's not focused on any other form of dance for like at least 10 years. And also, <laughs> I stopped doing jazz when I was like seven or eight because I said ballet is for me and that's all I did. And someone who's top 24 in the world. Yeah. You'd think of that age. Yeah. She hadn't danced for months, and then she goes, I need to get back in shape. And he makes a joke, like, oh, doing some push-ups? And she goes, no, that's not how I get back into shape. And we're thought, like, oh, she's going to do some serious training now. No, she kind of, like, she kind of, like, takes does a couple a little classes ballet. on the side, yeah. But she, is she even in classes, or is she just dancing by herself? No, she's doing class. She does oh, classes at least once. Okay. But Derek's there for some reason? She can't go anywhere by no. herself. She has some really troubling codependency issues. She does. That she needs to work on. She, she needs some alone time. She does. She needs to be, she needs to go on a trip by herself. She's going to fall apart at Julia. She is. Because she's going to have to dance without her mom or boyfriend watching her. And it's not going to go At well. all times. Like his full-time job is going to be sitting in that studio. Well, she's he's going to Georgetown. Yeah. It's not going to work out. Where is Georgetown? Washington, D.C. <laughs> so and she's going to be in New York. You could take a train, but he's not going to be there every day. No, because he's also studying medical Nor school. Nor should he be, because black people are allowed to exist without just being there to prop up white people. Oh. Which is what this movie posits. I feel like we're segueing into the racial part of this episode. <laughs> yeah, let's just do one last thing, because okay. we have to wrap it up. So then uh, Malachi's drive-by... That's too many guys for a drive-by. Yeah, you were really upset about Because he's like, I need seven guys. And it's like, you're taking one car. Anything more than four is completely unnecessary. So there were five in the car, and he wanted Derek there. That's too many. You're going to shoot one of your own guys if those guys are also shooting. Like, you're shooting across three people's And, like, everyone had a gun out. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't like, you're my second. On the driver's side, popped up out the window and shot over the hood. I guess, I like, I get the appeal of that, but I don't think that's going to be your best case scenario. Yeah, there's just guns everywhere. There's, there's just asking people. to shoot your own guys. Yeah. So they didn't need Derek. Is what so I then say. the drive-by doesn't work and Malachi... Well, wait, that drive-by, that doesn't work. They're driving off and then the guy who's been shot gets up, shoots the car and it explodes. Yes. <laughs> what the fuck? In this movie, like I get in action movies, everything blows up when you shoot it, but... Why would that happen in this one? Why wouldn't Malachi just get, like, shot or something and then crash the car? Yeah. It exploded. Like, that's not how cars work. No. Right? No. No. That's what I thought. Uh, But I wasn't sure. (laughs) It seemed silly. Uh, So Malachi is arrested and everybody meets up at Steps to celebrate Sarah getting into Juilliard. Oh, mean squeeze night. The end. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this seems like a good place to take a little bit of a break and thank our second sponsor. And that is Pod Power and the Edmonton Community Foundation. Because with Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and other Albertan podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Is This For Real? 
And I chose that one because you know who has a better take on these issues? The good people at Is This For Real? Because this is a podcast about various facets of Black life in Edmonton. In the first season of the show called Breaking the Blue Wall, the host Omar Salifu explores anti-Black racism and policing and tells stories about policing in schools, accountability in Alberta's policing systems, and the impacts of police violence on Black Edmontonians. You can listen to the podcast and read more about each episode at isthisforreal.ca. And you can also support the work of these podcasters and them making future seasons on their Patreon. So you can check out Is This For Real? Oh, it sounds like a very helpful podcast. Yeah. There's somebody who you should listen to on takes on what it's like to be black, not Julia Stiles <laughs> or whoever wrote this. Or yeah. I don't know who wrote this. I'm going to bet money white. Do you want to take that bet? No, because I'm <laughs> usually wrong. <laughs> well, what do you feel? Do you feel? I feel white. You feel white? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was written by a white person, which yeah. doesn't shock either of us. No. So let's get into a few of those issues that were kind of making you uncomfortable and you knew that I was going to bring up at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start off with that scene with the woman in the subway who's like kind of gave them a dirty look. So we are meant as the audience to believe that this is someone who is uh, disagreeing with them because they're interracial couple. Yes. Right? Is that what we're meant to believe? Yes, I believe so. It seems like that to me, but it... I wasn't sure if it jumps out like that to everyone because, like, I got that a lot. <laughs> Man, I, like, wouldn't hold hands with a girlfriend until I was, like, 30 in public because I was just so tired of getting yelled at. Huh. Oh, man, sometimes they, like, throw stuff at you or on the subway. Oh, on the subway, it's anything goes on a subway. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not good. It was, you'd think it would be different in other countries but i when i lived in korea i had a korean girlfriend and oh we could not be like close to each other in public out there really yeah wow like old drunk men would attack me all the time really yeah but um what are we talking about oh so this lady is giving them the evil eye and uh how did you feel about this scene um i think they were going for something that they didn't reach yeah, that's kind of the theme of the movie. Yeah, of like, hey, we kind of started something. We're not going to follow through or check back in, but we put it out there. It's like sort of not quite. Yes. Say the last dance, sort of not quite. And Sarah's reaction is, I don't know if it's appropriate or if it's terrible. Well, it's definitely a terrible, but mm-hmm. it might be appropriate as well. Because she's the 17-year-old and she's the white girl, so she can put on a show and thinks it's funny Because she knows that she's not the one that's going to get violently attacked. Yes. And they've never been physically affectionate before this point. Mm -hmm. So you're not even sure if they're dating and it was really strange. And I feel like there is some sort of like fetishization going on because it seems like she's like, oh, he's black. He's dangerous. And look Mm -hmm. at this. People don't approve. And it's like she's quite literally getting turned on by yeah. disapproval of others it's like he's literally taking you to the ballet like let's not get too crazy yeah <laughs> it was bad on its surface just as like a reaction to what she was doing but the, the more you look at it the more it becomes deeply problematic mm-hmm. and it's 
a lot of this movie is about the fetishization of black men and the danger that they present. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, yeah, it's regressive and it's bad. And I think a lot of people will go like, oh, it was 2001. Yeah, it was 2001. Yeah, we should. It was not 1954. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, definitely they were trying to make it seem like, oh, she's brave because she stood up and like, you know. She was acting like an irresponsible child. She was. Is what she was doing. She, she was, was. There's nothing brave about dating the person you want to date, at least for what she did. Yes. Because she has, there's no downside to her. No. She doesn't get any of the repercussions. And no. that's kind of the story throughout the movie is that she's brave for doing things that these people are doing every day of their life. Mm-hmm. But because she's white and she comes and does it, she's brave now. Yeah. What's next on your list? Well, let's of... talk about that Kerry Washington speech. So at this point, Nikki had kind of attacked Sarah. And Nikki is played as the villain throughout this mm-hmm. movie. And like, yeah, she's mean and is aggressive out of nowhere, seemingly. Mm-hmm. But Carrie Washington, in a very measured way, says like, well, you have to look at it from her point of view. And it's about uh, the good ones leaving, meaning mm-hmm. that anytime we have a like a stand up black man in our lives, they leave. And well, before I say anything, what did you think about all of this? Um, I felt like if Sarah didn't exist, Derek would have left anyway. Yes. Well, I don't think it's necessarily that no. he's leaving the situation. It's that he is, they kind of take this, or at least in what the speech is talking mm-hmm. about, that so many people, and I get what this where they are coming from, that it is seen as an upgrade to leave your culture in favor of white culture. Right. I can't speak to black communities, but I feel that in a lot of minority communities, it's like, oh, you're you're getting out. You're doing mm-hmm. better by going and dating a white person and trying. It's almost by some people seen as aspirational. And that's like the danger of it is mm. that then by seeing that as aspirational, you're seeing your own culture as less than. And it's something that's more perpetuated by movies like this, where a lot of the time they're saying the same things. It's like you're getting out and that's the good thing. And this is a, just a symbol of that getting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely felt uncomfortable with the way that they approached it, but I can see where they're coming from for sure. Um I don't know if they did a good job of framing that idea for like a very white audience i'm assuming um i don't think that they did a very good job of it and there's definitely other ways you could go about it but um this was one of the things that made me very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because they didn't do a good enough job if they were trying to make this a teachable moment for white audiences right like i'm exactly i am not white but i grew up in a very white community with very white friends. So I do like consider myself having like a white background for sure. Yeah. And if most people were to look at you, they would maybe assume that you're Caucasian, right? Exactly. So I definitely can see that they were trying something, but I think that if someone with my background is the person that they are pitching this movie for white ballerina dancer girls, then I think that they need to do a better job of explaining what's happening on 
the like race side of this movie and keeping it a teachable moment and not making it offensive. They treat race relations in this movie as Julia Stiles treats black culture in this movie. Mm -hmm. You take what you want and you just leave any part you don't want to deal with. And it's like a cute, fun diversion. Yeah. Like in this part, it's that's a conversation to have without saying either side is right. Mm -hmm. That is definitely a worthwhile conversation to have. But it was thrown in at like seemingly arbitrarily and so close to the end of the movie. And then it's never really addressed after this. It's one of the few times that the movie tries to take something on seriously. And I commend them for that. Mm -hmm. Like I did not think that speech would happen in this movie. Yeah. It was shocking when it happened because I was like, whoa, that's a slightly nuanced take. Where did this come from? from? But if you're not going to follow it up with anything, then what's the point of bringing it up? Yeah. If you're just putting it out there to be like, oh, let's just, we're just getting a conversation started. Yeah, Your it's just silence whatever. on starting that conversation speaks volumes. And you're not willing to take a stand on it, is what this movie is, is saying. Mm-hmm. And then her reaction to it as well. She treats Chenille's words as like, this is saying you don't belong here. Yes. But I think what Chenille is trying to say is that you have to become aware of how things are handed to you that they are not handed to anyone else. And I think Chenille was just trying to get Sarah to like just see things from our point mm-hmm. of view because Chenille is in that group. She's right. not in in Sarah's group. Although yeah. they are best friends, they are not coming from the same place. Chenille's coming from Nikki's place. And how... And how Sarah reacts to this is the same way that a lot of people react to the idea of white privilege. If you bring up white privilege in conversation and like, well, it's easier because of blah, blah, blah. It's harder for black people or indigenous people or whoever because of these reasons. Mm -hmm. Most people's first reaction is like, it wasn't easy for me. I grew up poor. And we're like, we're not saying that. And Sarah is in the same way of like, well, it's hard for me because like, I'm real sad my mom died. We get that. That is fine. And that is something that it makes you who you are. But that is not what's relevant to this conversation. In the conversation of privilege, all we, all people who bring up that conversation and all Chenille is saying is that, yes, those things are hard, but it's not hard because of the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. And that's something that a lot of people have trouble understanding and i see why they have trouble understanding it because look how it's portrayed in film right sarah just takes it on herself and there's no resolution to this if anything chenille is the one who has to kind of uh, take it upon herself to say like yeah i said something too much so derek you have to go make things right because she Mm -hmm. really loves you chenille is the one who like not quite apologizes but she's the one who has to temper her point of view sarah does nothing nothing sarah does not put in any hard work everything's kind of like spoon handed to her and it's really awful to watch through the lens that we have now um being like an adult and like the current like black lives matter movement and everything that like i feel like i'm trying to learn and i'm trying to be more like aware of what i'm doing 
Um, and you finally realize that the Compton Clovers are the heroes of Bring It On. I'm not admitting to that. We're going to do a redo of Bring It On. Okay. Like Bring It On Redux. And I think after the conversations we've had in all of these movies, mm-hmm. I think you might come around on the Clovers are the heroes. We'll see. <laughs> I, I don't see how you can't. But okay, sorry. Go on, go on. Um, and I think that back when I first saw this movie 20 years ago, I didn't have the worldview or, like, the experience and the knowledge to admit or realize just how badly this movie does in teachable moments and in the, like, possibility of how far they could have taken this. Yes. Because this is a predominantly white audience. It's an audience who doesn't have a big enough worldview to realize that this is like super racist and offensive and they could have they had a, a like a bandstand where they could have actually like done something with it and i'm sad that hey, they didn't you sound like me <laughs> <laughs> five years <laughs> it's been five years <laughs> yeah well said i completely agree if I could continue about how Sarah misses all of these opportunities. And like you were saying, the movie has these opportunities, just like Sarah has opportunities. Like early in the movie, when they have that kind of confrontation in English mm-hmm. class of like, well, do you read these authors? She goes, well, no, but some people do. Why don't they have her go and read those authors and then go talk to him about it? It's so simple. Yeah, exactly. It just like... There could have been moments, quick montage of her in the library or up late at night. You don't even have to put that. Just the next time they talk, she mentions it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I read James Baldwin. Here's what I think. Yeah, exactly. She needs to do some work in this movie. She gets everything, like you said, just spoon fed to her. Mm -hmm. And then the part about her believing that we're all in the same world. Mm Mm-hmm. And yes, she's not wrong, I guess, but she's only interested in the most simple answers that she can get. And it's like the whole, uh, she's that, that uh, I don't see color type, right? Yeah. Which people think is a very progressive thing, but it, it's not. Mm-mm. If you think that like, I'm not racist, I don't see color. That's a privilege. <laughs> I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can't. No. Like, I can't, when someone tells me to go back to a country I'm not from, I can't just be like, huh? Why'd they say that? (laughs) Yeah. It exists. And Sarah, and by extension this movie, believe that, like, no, we're all the same. All we need to do is dance and get along and learn how to (laughs) sit properly. Yeah, exactly. And that, like, you can appropriate black culture and that it's okay. Yeah. Like her wearing that cardigan on her head <laughs> that steps the first night. <laughs> well, that just looked silly more than anything. Um, because by the end of this movie, Sarah hasn't learned anything mm-hmm. regarding this whole thing. No. She got Carrie Washington to just be like, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said that. She still believes that like we're all in the same world and color doesn't matter. And then she gets to go on and continue into this relationship mm-hmm. with the black man and believe that, yeah, race isn't a thing. If people look at us weird, we'll just make out in front of them. That'll show yeah. them problem solved. Exactly. And the movie ends on that point of view. Yeah. We don't get Carrie Washington at the end. We get the two of them together and like, yeah, everything's cool. And we don't yeah. need to talk about any no. of that. 
No, it was very frustrating the way that they finished this movie. And how rarely it was discussed because it's really, it's the woman on the subway and then that one speech by Kerry Washington. Mm -hmm. And that's a luxury we have when it's a movie about a white person coming into a black world. If the movie is about a black person going into a white world, everything is going to be about race. Yes. Like, you know what? You should go watch out there. Go watch O, a Julia Stiles movie from 2001. Same year this came out, and it's about her in an interracial interracial relationship. But in this one, the black guy is in a all-white school because he's athletically talented, gets a scholarship, but he's not on the same level of all of these people. He's coming from a different background, right. exactly the same as this. And race is at the forefront of that movie because mm-hmm. you can't do it the other way. Right. You have the luxury of bringing in race whenever you want when it's a right white protagonist. Yeah. It doesn't work the other way around. Mm. Yikes. Yeah. I, I don't know. It just seems like this movie is too scared to tackle anything mm-hmm. real. If you're too scared to talk about the thing... Don't make the movie about that thing. No, just make it another high school dance movie where all the characters are white. Or you could just <laughs> not have all white people and it can be fine. Yeah. That's allowed too. True. Just saying out there, casting agents, I can dance, kind of. <laughs> I only get cast as people with the word Indian in the title. Oh. Which is sadly true. Unless I write it myself, then I can play right. something else. Exactly. Exactly. Um... I think this movie was bad. It was pretty bad. (laughs) That's that's my big sweeping take on it. And then they have some moments of subtle racism. Like you remember when she calls her friend back home and she goes like, oh, you're in the hood. Did you see a drive by? And Julia Stiles' character is like offended and saying like, it's not all like that. Yeah. What happens about 20 minutes later in the movie? There's a drive-by. There's a drive-by. So the movie itself is part of that subtle racism that they critique, Mm -hmm. right? It's this movie tries, it's it's the equivalent of saying, I don't see color. Yeah. Right? Like, I I think you're trying to do something good here. Yes. But it's a very misguided way of doing it. It's extremely misguided. And it's stupid. Stupid. Yeah, it's pretty stupid. (laughs) And then there's all the things that Julia Stiles, or Sarah, is able to do. She can move to a, like, building that's all run down in the south side of Chicago. She can go to this school, which doesn't look like it's doing great. Mm -hmm. She can uh, date a black man who has had run-ins with the law. She can be uh, in a single-parent family and just succeed at everything. Well, every other character who has one of those things against them, Mm -hmm. it's just a complete struggle, right? So this movie is unconsciously proving the point of of privilege, right? right? I think they're trying to say that that doesn't exist and it's about who you are and how you dance. Yeah. But through the characters, like, you don't see Carrie Washington getting her scholarship to go off somewhere else. She still is going to be a single mom. Yeah. And life's going to be very hard for her. Mm -hmm. You don't see, like, Malachi, who apparently can do all of those things. At least Derek is convinced, like, you can do this. You can be great. You can get out. You don't see that for him. No. Right? But all of the odds 
if you just look at it on paper without race, are all against Sarah. Mm-hmm. But she succeeds at every opportunity. Yeah. Because she's white. <sighs> Say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and not only does she succeed at every opportunity, every little thing she does that she's learned from somebody else and we see her learn from somebody else, she is praised for. Mm-hmm. She just walks in there. She gets a helpful black woman to say like, oh, here are the tips. Don't put your bag here. She gets a very, like what I would assume is like one of the most popular guys in school. Mm -hmm. Loves her. No reason. She hasn't done anything to deserve it. No. (laughs) She gets into Juilliard at the audition, which also can't happen. No. And also she was bad at it. Yeah. And also she fundamentally doesn't understand dance in a lot of ways, it seems like. But everything's just so easy for her. And she's able to succeed in, like, a primarily black space with no real effort. Yeah. Because she doesn't learn from anything. Like, she doesn't take lessons away. She just learns how to sit and grunt. <laughs> There's a lot of grunting There's in this a lot movie. of grunting. Even, like, she can stand up to Malachi in the bathroom. She doesn't get slapped around. There's a woman getting slapped around in the bathroom. Yeah. But when Sarah comes in, he's like, oh, okay, well, hey... And just threatens her a little. Yeah. yeah. And then everything she does, like whenever she has one of her little insults, which are the worst insults they ever. They are. They were so, some of them, like, I didn't even understand what the joke was. Mm-hmm. Like, remember when Nikki says, like, oh, so you just bring this white girl to the Negro club? And Sarah goes, I don't see any Negroes here. And everyone goes, oh, what was the joke? What did she do? Like, is her insult like we don't use the term negro anymore it's outdated i think so it's not really like a slam no it's not (laughs) but everything she does is propped up by the black people around her yeah yeah chanel does a lot of propping up in this movie for sure oh man you know what what i just looked i have notes on uh, the race stuff I haven't looked, I haven't started them yet. And I have two pages. What? (laughs) Andy, we've been talking about it for like half an hour. (laughs) I think we have to, I think we have to skip most of it. We can't do two hours on this movie. I do have the phrase, white people love to Christopher Columbus. (laughs) Meaning to come into something, do something that already exists and then be like, hey, look what I did. I'm the greatest. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. I'm just going to delete all of this. I said something about how she says to Derek that, like, you're not him. You're not like Malachi. And that just speaks on how they love to be like, you're not one of them. You're one of the good black people. Because he's smart and well-spoken and never the aggressor. And he's going to work hard and get out of the situation. And I think I talk about Jackie Robinson a lot on this podcast because he's kind of the greatest. But also what... A lot of people don't know about Jackie Robinson, who um, was the first black player in Major League Baseball. He wasn't the best player. Well, he was the best in the Major Leagues. He Mm -hmm. wasn't the best black player. There were better players in the Negro Leagues. They put Jackie Robinson out there because he'd be the most palatable to a white audience. Mm. You couldn't put Satchel Paige out there because Satchel Paige is going to be Satchel Paige. (laughs) I don't know who Satchel Paige is. He's the greatest. He's, He's fucking amazing. But anyways, he was better than Jackie Robinson. But Jackie Robinson was uh, college educated. He served in the military and he was an officer in the military. Mm -hmm. So, and he was, I don't want to say soft spoken because that's not who he was. He was a passionate and strong man, but he was able to hold his tongue, Mm -hmm. which a lot of other people couldn't do. 
and I feel like they're totally Jackie Robinsoning uh, Derek's character and right. making him like we're gonna have this interracial relationship. Don't worry, he's gonna be the most palatable to a white audience. We'll we'll make sure we name him Derek. Yeah, not Malachi. Not Malachi. Yeah, they also made Malachi's name kind of scary. I when I think Malachi, I think of like a uh, like an Amish dude. Oh, really? Isn't it a biblical name? That's Mordecai. Oh, is it? Yeah. I think. I could be wrong. Bible friends, tell us. It just didn't seem as accessible a name as Derek. True, true. Right? Like, it seems it's, scary and edgy. It's more, yeah, it's more othered. Yeah. Like, Sarah and Derek, that kind of, like, is from the same world. Yeah, right? exactly. They use every opportunity they can to say, like, sure, he's black, but, like, you know, he's not scary. He's not that you kind could just of black. Say the, yeah, really, <laughs> yeah. that's what they're saying. That is what this movie is saying. Are we the same person? when you start eating cilantro we'll talk gross (laughs) but yeah that's what this movie's saying it's both saying that there's good black people and bad bad black people but it's also painting so many with the same brush and not allowing for different variations when you're a white character in a movie you are a ballerina who is moving from one city to the next yeah you are a dad who hasn't had time with your daughter and is a struggling musician. When you're black in most movies, you're black. That is your character. And that was the character. Man, I'm just getting angry now. Okay, well, maybe we should wrap it up. (laughs) All right. Let's wrap it up on a kind of a happy note. Remember how we loved Into the Spider-Verse? Because Mm -hmm. you have one main character, and it's his story. But then you have all these other characters who, even if they have 10 lines and five minutes of screen time, you know about them. Mm -hmm. I understand where Penny Parker was coming from. I understand the bond she has with this robot, which is a much more fanciful thing to, to get an understanding for. Right. But they do it well. Every one of those characters has their own desires and sometimes they overlap and interweave with the protagonist right but they are their own people they exist for their own reasons not only just to prop up miles Mm -hmm. in this movie every character acts only to prop up julia styles and not only is that bad screenwriting because these characters motivations are muddled at best But it also comes off as super offensive because every character besides her is black and she is white. And Mm -hmm. we just have all of these black people existing to prop up this white white person and teach her. And then not be celebrated for the lessons they taught, but celebrate her for her ability to kind of understand what they were teaching. Yeah. And that's why this movie is bad. (laughs) Whoa, okay. Right? Does that seem fair? No, I'm totally in agreement with you. And that's why Into the Spider-Verse is so good. Yes. Not even that. It's just one of Go listen to two episodes ago. We talked about Into the Spider-Verse. It's one of the best movies. For like five hours. (laughs) Yeah, well, now we're talking about this for five hours, so we should probably wrap it up. Okay, we're going to wrap it up now. So Save the Last Dance from 2001. Not a good movie. Not a good movie. But you want to hear something crazy? I want you to pick more dance movies because okay. I think they could be fun if they're not so problematic. Yeah. I like the the idea of the dance movies are much the same idea as a lot of sports movies. Mm-hmm. It's a very simple plot. You know what you're going to get and the ride is what's fun. 
Yeah. This one goes into some places which are weird and unnecessary. <laughs> or doesn't go far enough, perhaps. But yeah. Yeah, I, I'm interested into seeing some more of these dance movies. Like your Step Ups. Is that one? I've never seen a Step Up what? movie. No. How? I thought you were. that was your time. No. No? No. When are they from? I thought they're from this. Same... I think they're from this same time, but I just never saw one. Okay. What about Center Stage? I liked Center Stage. I know my uh, high school girlfriend was really into it. I don't think I ever saw it, though. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we'll be watching that soon. All right. Uh, but yes, I do have some dance movies up my sleeve here for future podcast episodes. I'm excited. I'd like to see them. Mm-hmm. So if you have listeners, if you have a dance movie that is your favorite dance movie that you think we should watch, just send us a little message and let us Lex know. Last one. Uh, so you can find us on social media at Instagram and Twitter at ILTYS and the number two. You can find us on Facebook at I Love This You Should Two Dash Podcast. And you can email us your Google spreadsheets and top rankings of movies like my best friend and maid of honor Kim did at I Love This You Should and the number two at gmail.com. Kim, I need to give her a special shout out. She really. She started listening to this podcast a couple of months ago and is now, from what I heard on episode 106, she's just like blowing through them. Yes. And she'll send me a message every now and then going, regarding episode 98, you're very wrong. And I was like, I don't even know what episode <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, Kim, you do, re- I had to tell her, I said, you do realize that I like pretty much never remember what I've said during an episode. <laughs> so Kim sends me spreadsheets. She did a whole Rise of the Teen movie spreadsheet, Wait, which I'll have Rise to show you. Rise of the Teen? The Teen movie, yeah. Oh, Rise of the Teen movie. Yeah. Oh, what's on there? I'll show you after. But she is like me, and her love language is spreadsheets. So she quickly makes up all sorts of spreadsheets for me, and uh, I really appreciate it. So if you have a spreadsheet that you'd like to share with us about movies, uh, please let us know, and we'll see you next week when Indy tells us what we'll be watching, and uh, I get to critique it. That was a terrible ending. (laughs) Goodbye, everyone. Bye.